Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradium. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and generational prosperity. I believe that there are families and businesses that have learned to give a new definition to the word success from a kingdom perspective. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 20 to 30 minutes where we take traditional thinking and turn it upside down. All right, so we're going to go in five, four. Thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to Redefining Success. I'm Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, and joining me today is Brian Olette, who is the founder of Ask My Advisor and author of the book, Referral Secrets of the Elite Trusted Advisor, which I think is coming out in the next month or so. So by the time this episode hits, it should be on shelves. We're going to get a chance to talk about some software that he's developed. We're going to get a chance to talk about him coaching his kids in sports and what he's learned along the way. <laughs> We're going to get a chance to talk just about the book, and it is going to be a great interview. So Brian, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. This is uh interesting some of the stuff you and i've been talking about recently uh that should be an interesting uh, conversation here it's going to be a great conversation it's going to be a great conversation so i told you how this starts so it's saturday afternoon um brian's up in seattle but he was telling me a story that at times they have flown some crawfish up for a crawfish boil so we could be having a crawfish boil or just a good old-fashioned hamburger hot dog barbecue in my backyard i've invited all my friends over um and i would love for you to introduce yourself to my friends if you would well, it's fine. I'm, you're taking me back to some of these crawfish boils we had up here back. Uh, it's been a little while, but uh, some good old people from Louisiana we'd spent some time with. You know, it's it's funny. And my wife and I talk about this a lot. Um, we tend to ask a lot of questions. And so sometimes we're not a great duo because we ask so many questions and we meet people. But a lot of it is because we genuinely have interest in, you know, people where they're from and, and kind of their backgrounds and stuff. But if I'm, I'm thinking if we're sitting around, I always like learning about like someone's neck of the woods, like even things you and I have talked about down uh, Louisiana is a part of the country I've not been to. Yeah. I know a lot about it. Um, but I'm you know, really interested in that. We talked about the lake you live you know, by, and you know, I, I just learned something new today. There's a 24-mile bridge that goes across the lake that I had no, no, no clue about. But, um, you know, it's funny in meeting people, especially you, know, you run business and stuff, you, there's this fine line of, um, it's, it's a weird balance of, do you of talking too much about what you do or not talking at all like this you want to be humble and it's it, it, you know oftentimes it's just more of the conversational questions that develop and move people through and learning about each other that's tends to be my favorite way of getting to know somebody or, or share my story is by asking questions which is kind of seems like an odd way but questions seem to be a a good opener for things many many things 
So I'm going to push you a little bit. Tell my audience. So you, the question's on you. So what's maybe more difficult this time is you've got to answer the question. You don't get to ask the questions. You have to answer. So tell us, tell us about you. You know, it's interesting. Well, you know, I'll tell about me, kind of my background a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm born and raised. I'm in Bellevue, Washington. So just a suburb out of uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, we're home of Microsoft, a company a lot of people have heard of. So Microsoft's right at the door. Amazon, downtown Bellevue has become a kind of Amazon's, uh, not just headquarters too, it looks like kind of their main headquarters. I think they've added like 6 million square feet of office space, just about four minutes from my house, downtown Bellevue, which is pretty interesting with, you know, people coming back from, from COVID and from work. But um, I've spent most of my time graduating from the University of Washington in 94. You and I have talked about this. I lived out, the only time I moved away was I lived out in Chicago for a little bit. So I was born and raised here. I, I enjoy living here. The the weather, the everything, that's normal to me. So it was good for me to move out to Chicago. And um, I knew I wanted to get in finance, right? You know, even through through high school. Uh, through high school, the movie Wall Street had come out. And not the not the best movie to base your career off of, but it was an interesting movie. And we happened to have career day uh, right around that time. And a couple stockbrokers from uh, Dane Bosworth, I think it was at the time, came in. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And it was kind of a seed in the back of my head. And and through college, that's what I did. I worked with some family friends, did the cold call, and got to know the business a little bit, graduated. And I'm like, well, I want to get in this business. And what better time to move away than when you're 22, right? You move away. That's when you don't have three kids, a wife, and, you know, much more responsibility. So that's what I did. Lived in Chicago. Um, started on the Chicago Board of Trade, which I'd never I'd, – I'd seen the trading floors, like, on TV – uh, the movie Trading Places, you know, the commodities for, you know, this, um, but I'd never been in the middle of it. So that was a really interesting way to learn the business and, and uh, you know, had a great time for that year out there. Ended up working with a private client group, got my licenses, my six, my seven, my, I, you know, I took the six and then the guys I'm working for were like, well, let's get you to take the seven. I'm like, wait, does that override the six, you know, but it was a good, good practice for me taking tests, but um, did that. You know, um, cut my teeth in Chicago, then I wanted to get back to Seattle and build my private client business, and that's what I did. So I did that for a decade. I worked with, uh, you probably remember Payne Weber, the old yep. Payne Weber name, that was got into their training program and then was stayed with them during the acquisition with UBS. They moved over to Oppenheimer Company, and when I moved over there, the um, local Fox uh, affiliate here, Fox Morning News, was starting a morning show, and they made some money, guys. And so we kind of, we knew some people there, so they invited us down, and they ended up bringing us on for almost four years. They built a studio in my Oppenheimer company office, but for almost four years, um, I did, you know, two to four to five live market updates every day on this uh, morning show. Well, if you remember 2000, yep. we started about March of 2000, no. the market crashed, I think it was April, right? So to report during that bust, you know, for three and a half years, I think it was on, did over 3,000 uh, TV interviews. Um, but it was, it was kind of interesting, you know, I've only been at finance, so the media side was kind of a, an interesting um, other background to be in, and, and it was great getting exposure for, you know, someone young in the business. Um, but yeah, so did that, so... You know, hey, I'm we're at a barbecue. I'm talking too much about myself here. Talking about you know my your podcast. Oh my, it's, it's all, my you. podcast. It's all about me. Um, yeah, but so that's so I guess that kind of leads up to where we're at with Ask My Advisor. So it makes sense to kind of give you the um, you know we you know we talked we've talked about this, Eric, about the whole idea is like you set out for things to be a certain way, yeah. right? And for me, 
I was going to be a financial advisor for 20, 30, 40 years or whatever. And I really put the plan in place and did that and had some early success to build that foundation. And then things shifted, you know, going through 2000 for someone young in the business, that was a traumatic thing. Like I, you know, I only knew the market going straight up. So I knew through 95, 96, 97, 98, you know, I've talked about this and this actually plays into the business now, but I was getting referrals. I probably had no business getting, but the market was going up. People were feeling good. And, um, and then you go through a crash and nobody taught you about that, right? You always heard about the Great Depression stuff, but that was a pretty traumatic thing. And um, even for people that, <laughs> kind of a funny side note, even for people that were protected through, we had a, at Oppenheimer, um, we had a hedge fund group, like a, a true, true hedge, you know, funds that were actually hedging themselves against markets, pull, pullbacks. And um, Takis Spragas, who runs Alkion now, it's like a $50 billion hedge fund. He was about 250 million back then, wow. but he was a technology manager. And I'd rolled when I moved over, um, when I actually went to Louisiana family, one of my good family friends had all their money with Julian Robertson, Tiger Fund, Yeah. right before that whole collapse. But we had moved a significant piece of their money over to this technology fund. And through that crash of, of, uh, of 2000, they were at 0% for the year. NASDAQ lost, what, 67, 80%. He protected everything through the crash. And I had clients that were like, well, yeah, but that was just 0%. I was like, do you not get, <laughs> you protected your money through the biggest crash, you know, the dot-com burst. Yeah. Not only that, you protected. Now you don't have to make up all this ground. You, you're starting from there. But it was those type of things were kind of just fed me. I was like, man, this is the, it couldn't be better what, what happened with this. And people didn't understand that. I get it. I, I get it from the client side. I totally, you know, we're all humans, right? Yeah. But I just saw, so anyway, so kind of lost my love for the business and then uh, sold it in 2004, started a um, sports apparel company, Shoe Wallet Active Gear, which they're little nylon pouches. They've been around for decades. I had one when I was a kid, but I had bought the domain shoewallet.com in uh, 2003. Okay. So began doing that, uh, built that business out, brought in some investors and uh, Got that product on the Today Show, on New York One, a lot of uh, newspapers, magazines, because we we're really proponents, proponents of people carrying ID when they ran. Most people run without ID. It's a big problem. So had some success there, had some big clients, had you know a lot of private label clients, um, but did that. But there was a, a problem with that business. And it, you know, for me, coming from a, a family business, my parents run literally, it's a mom, pa auto part, marine parts store they've had since I was zero, since they've had it for over 50 years. And they run it together. They got a few employees and they've had it for you know, a long time. And I watched over the years, you've got a retail business, you've got all this stock and inventory and stuff. Well, you're paying rent on every piece of stock on the shelf. Every minute it doesn't sell, you're essentially paying rent on that, on that space. And so with Shewall, I really want to have a single product, be laser focused. I want something that was easy to, uh, to ship wasn't fragile ship, all these things. Private label business was good. I got clients like um, Susan Jacoma down in Texas, but, um, you know, Dunkin' Donuts did shoe wallet, private label shoe wallets. We did them for Skechers Shoes, UCLA, like all kinds of brands. But you still, it was a, it was a hard good. I had to, you know, there was a cost there. So as I kind of evolved that business, it was 2010. I was talking to a sports agent buddy of mine, and now that you know I've talked about this, but you know, these, you always hear over the years of these athletes having problems with their money. And I've heard it. And you kind of, for me, it was always in the background, but I always kind of paralleled it with uh, lottery winners, right? Sure. Statistically, 
lottery winners don't do real well with that money. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing. You think you're coming out of this money, but just statistically. And, and the way I really looked at that. So, so I was talking to a sports agent, buddy of mine, he was building a database of sports agents and athletes. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I never considered working with, you know, athletes or celebrities. And as I looked into it more, he shared that sports illustrate article, how and why athletes go broke. And that was a mind-boggling article. I'm sure you remember that from 2009. It's a, it's a big article. It's, it's been around for a long time. But they ran through the stats of, you know, 60 to 78% of pro athletes within two, with not 10 or 20 years down the road, within two to five years, they're having major financial issues, um, mm. you know. And really, for most of these athletes, you know this, um, you're not going to replace that income, right? You may get a good job. Right, and right, do, right, right replace you know 50 60 cents on the dollar is going to be difficult right there's the outliers you know the tom brady's who just signed an amazing tv deal but that's you know that's a, a small percentage of people so I, as i looked into that a little bit more i was like i i looked at that as boy these financial advisors these attorneys the accountants taking care of these athletes over 60 percent of them are failing these clients so i saw that as an opportunity so within i researched the industry within three weeks i launched uh, pro athlete direct and that was a, a, through that channel. I had, was selling the database of the friend of mine who was a sports agent. And this was great. We got media attention. It was kind of niche. People were like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know, athletes and stuff. And then about, and we we're getting some really, you know, a lot of former athletes turned advisor, turned, you know, accountant, whatever. Um, but they're coming to me and saying, hey, this access is great but what do I do with it? Mm. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't think about that. I thought you just want the access, right? So I began building a coaching program around that whole idea. Uh, sports agents are really a goldmine center of influence relationship. Mm. I mean, they're, and it's not just their athlete clients. They're, you know, by, they're a hub to many, many uh, deep connections. And so we built the coaching around that. And um, as time went on, I began to notice some, some things about this. We had a pretty good system for building a relationship from nothing to something. But you're still, and even though a lot of these, you know, um, members of mine were former athletes, we had, you know, Super Bowl winners and, uh, you know, Olympians and national team captains, you know, that were had turned advisor or that, were, that I was coaching. Um, I realized, you know what, there's a center influence that's far superior to these sports agents. And not only is it far superior, all these advisors that I'm working with already have relationships with these, with these people. So we don't have to go from nothing. We, we have it already. It's the existing clients of these advisors. That was really a light bulb moment I had. And I realized um, so oftentimes in business, I look back when I was an, an advisor or financial advisor and then coaching all these advisors, we're all about getting the new business, getting the new business. And that's kind of in our DNA a lot of times. We oftentimes don't look at going back into our existing client base. Right. You know, they vote every month, they pay a fee, I, you know, they have money with you, they uh, do a transaction with you, anything, they vote with you with their dollars. Right. And words only go so far. It's ultimately, you know, your wallet dictates how you feel about something, right? We vote with our wallets. And I really began to look into that a whole lot more and began to quickly narrow it down to not just all your clients, it's all, you know, I've been a big proponent of the Pareto principle. A lot of people, the 80-20 rule, but the top 20% of your clients, the ones that you enjoy working with the most, the ones you have the closest relationships with, the ones you most likely call friend, you know, their families, those things. Let's really focus on that relationship and use this relationship building system we created 
and strengthening those relationships and then tapping into the people in their lives. And that's really, so if you, you know, we talk about the ask my advisor method at its core, that's what it is. It's taking even better care of your top clients and then bridging that tapping into the people one degree away. Cause you know, one of the things I'm at your barbecue, I'm rambling way too much about my business. You know, so <laughs> hopefully there's some cervezas, you know, being passed around. They're like, all right, listen to this guy. Um, you did. You did say it's my podcast. So I, you I did know, say it's your podcast. Talk, I did. talk about this stuff a little bit, but um, so one of the things. So we look. So we we look at this. Um, one of the ways traditionally, I look at how I was trained. The pain. You know, Payne Weber had a great training program. Uh, spent a month in Hoboken, and you know, it was a it was a you know old school just training. You know, still Lehman Brothers way, right? Um, Yes, for referrals. And we always say we want bait in the water. So asking is better than not asking. Okay, that's we know statistically most clients will refer their advisor. Most of the time they don't get asked or they get asked in odd ways. So we always want bait in the water. But is there a better way to bridge that gap to the people one degree away from your clients? Um, and another thing, asking oftentimes it is, it's not a high stat, it's a lower status thing because, you know, the, the analogy I always use is my, my doctor, I love my doctor. He's great. I refer him frequently when people need a GP. I'm like, oh, you got, got to go see Dr. Norton, right? I don't want to get done with my appointment with him and have him sit me down and say, okay, here, here's a piece of paper. Write down three referrals for me and then sit and stare at me for five minutes while I write this list down, right? Because I will give the referrals, but I'm going to give them because, you know, to me, we talk about this in the book, actually. Um, we talk about how it goes back to our crocodile mind, right? The, the caveman, cavewoman era where we, if I knew where a watering hole was away from where we were all at, and I could bring you to it, my value went up. It was a status play. Referrals are very similar. We love saying, I'm like, Eric, you got to talk to him. That, what they're doing at uh, Paradigm, no one else is doing this. You got to talk to him, right? Or, you know, my doctor, she's the best. You got to talk to her. People, it's a status. You're, you're not going to refer somebody that's terrible at what they do, Right. Most likely, they're not going to continue being your advisor for much longer. And number two, it's because that drops your status. So what could we do? So the whole idea is we've, we've built the system. How do we tap into those, um, those people one degree away? And one of the benefits of social media now is the average person between family, friends, you know, work associates, school, all these things is connected over 600 people. One person has a reach of 600 right now. So if we, if we use the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, and look at your top, just your top 10 clients. It's over 6,000 people that one degree away that, you know, mathematically, who most closely resembles those top 10 clients? It's got to be the people in their lives. So it's not going to be the stranger on the street. Sure. It's not going to be the stranger at the, you know, the seminar someone runs or whatever. It's going to be the people in their lives. And so to tap into that, those people one degree away is we, we you know, we built it. Ask my advisor method. It's, it's, through Q and A, we we open up Q and A. We talk we talk about questions a lot, um, but it's about questions are the single best way to identify someone's pain point, right? If I got a chance to ask you, is this you know high level financial advisor a financial question? And I've got my my list of top ten questions right now, and I'm making a bet inflation's going to be high out there and rates all these things, right? But I got a chance to I got my my list of ten, and I got a chance to talk to Eric right now. Most likely, I'm not going to ask my 10th most important question. I'm going to go right to the top and ask you what my number one question is. Well, the beautiful thing about using Q&A in that way is you now, if I, 
identify what my pain point is, where I need help with. And you're the expert. You know, you're in business. If people can answer all their questions, there's no need for accountants, attorneys, financial advisors, realtors, right? You on the other side, you're the expert. This is what you do. So the system really was driven by um, by Q&A. I mean, that's at the heart of it. We can talk about that more so in a little bit, but that just kind of gives you a background. You know, we talk about, or, you know, I, I talked about I set out this one way and then you've gone this way, but it really got us to this point. Now we're very crystal clear about what's going on here. It took a while to get to where we're at, but we're, um, we're pretty excited about it, especially now because people have more questions than ever right now. I mean, really there's new questions we haven't had, right? We've never gone through a pandemic. I mean, I guess we went through the, the Spanish flu, you know, in the, uh, I think it was about 19, early, in the, we, we weren't around then. Okay. Right, right. So maybe some of the same questions, but, yeah, and the closer 50 comes, the, the the longer ago that was. That's the one thing that's kind of hard to remember. <laughs> um, it really is. Hey, Brian, tell me this. So if you kind of look at, you know, the, the theme of the show is redefining success. So let's go back to your high school. You're watching Wall Street. You got this idea of what it would look, what life successfully would look like being a financial advisor. So you're going to go down this route. And you did, right? You did some of that. What were some of the things that you learned along the way around what success wasn't and versus what you discovered it was that were different than what you expected going in? Well, you know, the easy one, this is, I, well, I say it's simple, but it seems like it's, 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 it's quite common is um, that decision then was driven by the wrong things, right? When I say wrong things, it got me to where I'm at now. So I'm happy for that. So maybe, maybe that's not the best way to term it. It was driven. I, you know, I, I've been, I've been uh, more and more family friends. I've got kids coming out of college right now. And because I went the financial route, I've been having meetings with kids and stuff that are trying to sort things out. And so I got to go back to my 22, 23 year old self again and share the things that worked really well and the things that didn't work so well. And I think for me, it was having a very narrow scope of what business and what life was as an adult. And so I was driven. Let's, let's look at the movie that drove me where my interest came from. That was a movie. It was, it was gluttony, right? It was about, and there's nothing wrong with money itself, but the, the idea of the money in the movie and the, and you know, he wasn't providing high, high value as a stockbroker. He was purely transactional. He was, you know, he was driven by, you know, driven by money in that sense. And so in that regard, is it is, is someone, you know, starting out, I was really driven by money. I wanted to be successful. I liked the, the it looked cool wearing the suits and being in the buildings and fancy lunches, all these things. Um, I think for me, it would have been a better to gauge what the reality of that, what the business is. And not to say I wouldn't have gone the same route because there's great things that came about it. And it got me to where I am now with, with the software we built. So I will be forever grateful for that. But if I had a chance to do it over again, for me, it's get a better idea of all that's all that's available out there, and try you know, maybe try a couple different things. You know, one of the things I had some friends do in their twenties, they had jobs where they travel a lot for you know for work, and they complain about it in the midst of it. But then you look back, it's like, well, you know, you're you're at an age where you've got the freedom to do that. Right. Um, you know, you just got back from Italy with your three kids. You know, it's not an easy. You don't just hey. It's it's Friday. Let's let's pop over to Italy, right? right. Yeah, no. It's harder to do when you have more responsibilities and when you're you know by yourself. Um, those are the times you want to do those things, and you can learn a whole heck of a lot 
from and doing that right so when you know we talk about um for me going back in time being able to do it over again i would i would look deeper at what really what's important to me and to be honest i you know i don't know if that's a totally fair question i don't i don't know if i fully know what was important to me you know i, I think it's easy to say oh you know i want to uh cure hunger and do all these things we all want that um, what really drives me, and I, you know, it, it takes all these experiences, all these successes. It takes the falling in your face. Yeah. The biggest mistake I've made is, um, and you know, I've talked about this: the idea of um, not wanting to ever fall on my face. If I did, covered it up, yeah. because I feel like that that to me that's a fear that fear that fear of failure is not a good thing. Though I teach my kids. You want to fall. Why do you fall down? So you can learn to get back up, right? Why do you, you this, is the, this, this is a gift, right? When you, when you make mistakes, we want you making mistakes. But yet me as the adult in the, in the room, I haven't always lived that way. And, you know, so I think that's the you know, part of the learning experience is understand you're going to flop, yeah. but you're going to learn from the flops, yeah. right? What am I, what, you know, I got a saying, I've, I've, I saw this a long time ago, but, you know, a smooth sea never made a skillful, it's a sailor, I always say yachtsman, I don't like power boating over yeah. sailboating, but either one, a smooth sea never made a skillful sailor, and if you think about that, that couldn't be more, it's so true, yeah, right? Absolutely. When things are easy, when we can sit back, we're not very creative, when things are difficult, we have to reinvent ourselves and be innovative. Yeah. You know, that's one of the benefits of right now. I see with the, you know, we're watching the markets move and rates on inflation, all these things. This is when innovation comes about. Whatever that is, I don't know what that's going to be. It doesn't come when we're all fat and happy. We're fat and happy. We're not that creative. When we're hungry, we're backs against the wall. Um, this is where we get creative. So, you know, I've kind of answered your question in more general terms, but when I look back, the, the most important moments in my life came from those, the, those hardest decisions yeah. or the times I felt like the biggest failure in hindsight, you know, I, I wish um, it's, you know, it's hard when you're in the moment to be like, Hey, this failure is, this is going to be great at some point. Cause you don't see it. You we, I have the benefit of hindsight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for me, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, you always learn more from your failures than you do your success. You just don't want to, in the middle of it, it's hard to lick your wounds and recognize you're going to sit on that other moment. Um, here's something I don't know if you recognize. I, I would have you maybe expound on it a little bit, but it's interesting because when you think about what you went in to do from a Wall Street standpoint is no different than what a professional athlete thinks that they're getting into sports to do. Um, and yet you kind of came full circle with Pro Athletes Direct where – you were like, hey, no, I want to help these guys and gals and maybe even celebrities. I don't know how far that went when you did it or if you're still doing it. But I mean, I want to help protect them from some of that same blindness you even had on yourself. It just was compounded in dollars. No, totally. I mean, to me, that it's from the outside, that's this is a fixable problem, right? And I saw that and that was one of the benefits of, I think, appreciating, you know, it's, it's very easy for me to, um, I don't know when I was, I, I can look back, you, you know, I've talked about in our 20, 20, 21, 22, life was different then. And if I was handed a big fat check and knew I had more checks coming, it's very easy to say, well, I would have done all this planning and I would have, you know, funded my retirement, plan, all these things. Maybe not. Maybe I would have had a really good time and not 
protected that money because if you only know that, we are like, well, it's always going to be this way, right? Well, it's not. The average, you know, it's about three and a half years the average athlete's got to at their maximum earning capacity and to replace 50 cents on the dollar is going to be difficult for most of them. They're just, it's just not going to happen. So you got to, and, and this is one of the things we coached in, in this regard. And this comes back from things I learned in my twenties was we teach, we, we would teach these athletes, you know, that they earn the money. So they're not like lottery winners, lottery winners. And I'm not bad mouth on lottery winners. You win the lottery. Great. But be, you know, protect that money. But that's beside the point. These athletes, when I was running around my buddies and not sitting at the basketball hoop, shooting 500 free throws, doing layups, missing out on things, these athletes are entrepreneurs in every sense. They literally are entrepreneurs, and we don't look at them that way because we don't think of it, oh, it's a sport, it's fun. They're working their tails off to ever monetize a sport. You got the gifted athletes, doesn't matter. They still had to work hard. You got the people that the workers who I appreciate those people even more that work to get to that position. So we teach them, you earn this money. And when we look at, you know, this, I mean, your whole business is built around this. When we, when we've earned something, we treat it a little bit differently than if it's just given to us, right? Because you got skin in the game. It's got some meaning to you. And that just, that shift of just how you look at all of a sudden now you're a little more protective of your, of your assets, of what it looks like, you know, a year down the road, five years down down the road, 10 years down the road. So this goes back to, this is a good, see, this is kind of like a therapy session for me. I'm looking back, I'm like, oh, wait, this did kind of play into how I got here and how I got here. So yeah, I like it. <laughs> what, as you guys have been, so here's the thing that I know, there's no such thing as straight up. You've been writing the book, you've been putting together, ask my advisor kind of as a, and beginning to have some success and really kind of moving that forward. What have been the, maybe the biggest surprises that set you back that kind of like, Oh, you got to kind of like, I really want to do this. I got a vision to do this, but you, you hit some roadblocks. What have been some of that along the way of doing this? Well, I mean, a big one was, um, you know, being really full, whether you know, I think a shoe wallet and think about my focus on that business. That was the first, when I was a financial advisor with Payne Weber and, and Oppenheimer, um, you worked essentially for yourself. You had the manager director over but for the most part, you're working for yourself. But I took, you know, this company from from nothing. It was an idea. The shoe wall had been around for decades. Um, had the domain, started selling online, and then I started doing the private label. So I built that from from not nothing to something. And um, but things, you know, you you're when your focus goes on all that, it gets shifted away from some other things too. And so I was not living a balanced life in that regard. And um, you know, some people. Uh, took hits because of that. I went through in the midst of that, went through a divorce um, and had two young, young children. And we're, we're, we're lucky, a blended family. So I'm remarried. We've got a son. Megan's a great stepmom to Nick and Sophia. Uh, she's remarried. Great husband. He, he brought a kid in from a previous marriage and they have a daughter together. So we're like this crazy 2022 Brady bunch. Um, <laughs> Which is funny because we've all got, and then his, you know, his ex-wife and she's remarried. We're all friends and, and text and, you know, carpool and take care of the kids together. And he and I've coached, you know, the stepdad and I've coached teams together, basketball, football teams. Um, so that, you know, we, that was a, a failure at that time, right? Because you, you don't expect that. I'm proud, you know, when I look back, if it goes back to in the midst of things, you're, you're not like, man, this really sucks right now. But boy, a year from now, five years down the road, we're going to be, I'm going to be talking to Eric. We're going to be really just gloating about how great this was. Yeah. But 
you learn a whole heck of a lot. And one of the things when you, when you put the kids, you know, really let the kids lead the way of what if you teach the kids that you set out to go a certain way and life zigs and zags and you find a way to make things work. And one of the sayings I have on my kids, I've had since that, you know, every one of them are zero. We find a way. Mm. We don't know what that way is. We find a way. So whatever it is, we go this way, this way, we find a way. And that's been the thread that's, you know, helped us as far as a blended family go, as far as not only make it work and make it work pretty darn well, but the kids have seen you do hit walls. You go through things you don't expect, but you, you get through it. And things get better can get better because of it. you. Get, you got to work at it. It doesn't happen automatically. And I'm you know I'm proud that you know especially with all the coaching I've done. I you know I told you I've just finished my 31st season of coaching the kids wow. in some between football, flag football, basketball, soccer, um, not lacrosse. My daughter and some my youngest plays lacrosse. I uh, have not picked up not a sport I ever played, but I think it's a very cool sport. But um, you you learn you know these 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 are things you learn and we we've been able to be a um an example for a lot of families because there's other families that have similar situations and some just aren't for whatever you know they're they they don't have that they're not that lucky or maybe it's early on or maybe they, there's resentment all these things and i've been really proud to, for us as a not just our you know, my wife and our three kids but everybody involved in this blended family to be that, that a model of how it can work and how you can make it work. And that's an important thing. People have to see, I think when you, when you can show uh, you can make something work, mm. people got something to work towards. Right. Yeah. And the challenge is you, you, you want to even do it better, but you know, just show that you can work through these tough things. So. That's amazing. That's <clears throat> amazing. We're going to run out of time here soon, Brian. It's been a great visit. What, is there anything you haven't got to share that you wanted to make sure that we told in your story today? Well, really, as I'm sitting at the barbecue with all your buddies, I got, you know, just on this rant about myself. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll wrap up with this. All the experiences of, of, you know, when I was in high school, watching the movie Wall Street, seeing these cool stockbrokers to high school or college, doing the cold call, the moving to Chicago, working in the studio T, becoming a financial advisor, um, getting in a completely different industry, and then getting back into it, coaching these advisors, the Ask My Advisor method, I'm, what I'm so excited about is it's a culmination of all those experiences, me being on the financial advisor side, me being on the coaching side, me being on the client side of advisors, right? I, I've got a pretty good coverage of every side of the equation. And we talk about this in the book being a frictionless way to connect with the people um, in your client's lives, your best client's lives, excuse me. So the idea is we want to, number one, strengthen your best relationships and then also help the people in those best, your, your top relationships, the people that most closely resemble your top clients. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we've talked about the whole idea of you know, COVID kind of there's the benefits that come from the tough things. And with COVID, you know, we appreciate, I think, time a whole lot more. Because we went through a window of time where there is, you know, a lot of uncertainty, and, you know, uh, you, you, you appreciate in your business. When we look into our business, do we want to be working with, you know, hustling to be getting every possible client we can get? Or do we want to work with the people that we can help the most and we enjoy working with the most? Yeah. Well, the latter is what 
I think most people would agree on. How do we do that? And, you know, by using Q&A with the Ask My Advisor method, we, I don't think we even talked about this, but we're, we're education-based marketing at our core. Yeah. So we share three ways to implement it for, you know, advisors, people interested in it. One's a free way. One's a way you literally could just use your email uh, and use a, we give you the PS you can use in your emails to introduce and invite your clients to this. The second way is a do-it-yourself way where you plug in existing services to use the Ask My Advisor method. Or the third way, which is oddly the one we really prefer because we are a software company, hit the easy button. It's done for you. You know, In 15 minutes, you can have a Q&A portal ready to share with your top clients. But we talk about that with a blueprint we share, a free blueprint, and then we've got a webinar that, that um, goes through all three. And that's really what the book is. The book runs through all the, you know, the three different ways to use this method. But we think... I think you'll agree with this. Um, when you look at all the uncertainty, you know, experts, accountants, attorneys, financial advisors, realtors, venture capitalists, sports agents, they're in place to help people that aren't in any of those roles, right? This is your job. This is the essence of what you do. I don't think there's ever been a time where advisors are more essential than they are now to guide people through this uncertainty. Cause we, we're going to hit from multiple sides here. And so to me, I can't think of a better way than through Q&A to help bridge that gap, bring those two sides together. So we're, we're really excited. We're excited about the book. We're excited about the software, pulling it all together. Um, and it was, you know, fun sharing a little bit about the story with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask this. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, like they want to know more about your asking, ask my advisor method or get a copy of the book or kind of follow the things that you've got going on. What's the best way to do that? I would go to, um, you know, we'll, we've got a link. I'll just put it, uh, Paradigm, is it fine if we just use out the end of the link just so people know that they came from? Um, can you do redefining success? Perfect. So it's, I'll give it, so the URL is tip, T-I-P dot askmyadvisor.co forward slash. Redefining success. All together. And so we'll have a, on that, on that, page there'll be a link that goes to the uh, ask my advisor referral method blueprint it's a, it's a one page one page front and back it looks like here's a hard copy of what it looks like but it comes up it's digital oh. this provides you exactly what the method is it, it uh, you know covers the amount of reach you have right now with your top 10 clients um, you know that that top 20 percent it's massive and it shows you an exact way to communicate with those clients to open them up to Q&A with you, which is the best way, you know, if someone's asked us what we do, what the Ask My Advisor method does, if there's five steps to go from stranger to a top client and there's five steps to get there, we're that first essential, we're a connector. Mm. And the unique thing about what we're doing is we're a connector through your best clients. So there's something a little bit special about those people that come through that channel that um, makes us, makes it a little bit unique, so. That's fantastic, that's fantastic. So tip tip dot askmyadvisor.co co forward slash redefining success perfect and then there'll be the blueprint on there then also access to the webinar the webinar is our primary um education system so fantastic fantastic right i, I told you this was coming so it's giving you a little bit more time to kind of think through so my final question always to every single guest in three generations what do you hope your great grandchildren remember about you? In three generations, so I you did you you did I cheated a little bit because you gave it to me at the beginning. You know, to be honest with you, you know, I come from a family business. I'd want to ask my advisor still running 
and us bringing those people together. Because I, the, the thread, to be honest with you, I think the advisors taking care of their best clients to help them get through the hardest time we've ever been through in the last hundred years, or one of maybe not have it, but at the, you know, a challenging, cha- challenging time to help pull people through is going to save. It's going to save, keep families together. It's going to protect them. It's going to help them put a plan in place. It's going to help remove stress. So when I, when I say that, I don't just say that like, Hey, advisors are essential. I don't say that lightly. I say that it's very important. So what that becomes from here, I can know I, it only gets bigger from here. And the, the amount of people that we can impact with this small seed now, it can be everybody. Again, we're, we're talking about your top clients. So I'm really excited about the potential to help pull people through. And it's funny, but it's all through questions, right? Questions identify the pain. You're in the pain business, Eric. Whether you know it or not, you are in the pain, but you're a doctor. You're a surgeon and helping people um, solve those problems, solve those questions. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Brian, thank you so much for making the time to be here. It's been incredible. Thank you for making the time. Appreciate it, Eric. Nice. Nice. Thank you for the time. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for being here with us. We will be back with more stories of redefining success next week. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Eric L. Dunavit here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family who is actively redefining success or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldunavant.com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media. And we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you, all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360 com and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off. Until next time.